الجزيرة بودكاست Like many workers in the West, I work Monday to Friday. I was up at 6.30 a.m. for a team meeting. So, starting off, at some points I wanted to And I'll be working into the evening on interviews, scripts, and more meetings. Number one, what's the, what's the point? And at home, I've got a family, including infant twins, to take care of. Yeah, okay. Let's do some diaper changes. So when news came out about the world's largest trial of a four-day work week, it definitely caught my attention. The results suggested that reducing hours while keeping pay the same could benefit everyone. Now, the world's biggest trial of a four-day working week has ended in success with the performance of companies largely unharmed and workers feeling healthier and happier. But I wondered how this could fit in my industry, which often has demands outside of normal work hours. We begin with some breaking news coming in from Or for my colleagues, who are based all over the world in different work cultures. Asian cultures traditionally has always seen that work is actually treated on par to family. In fact, maybe sometimes seen as more important and even akin to God. So can a four-day work week work for everyone? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Juliet Shore, economist and professor of sociology at Boston College, and I'm the lead researcher on the four-day week trials. So how did you first hear about the four-day work week, and how did you get involved? I have studied uh, shorter work time for a long time. In 1992, I published a book called The Overworked American, The Unexpected Decline of Leisure. So you wrote a book in 1992 about the overworked American, and now you are doing work on this four-day work week. A lot of time has passed since then. Are we still overworked? We are, if we're talking about the U.S. Europe has had a somewhat different path. In many countries, work time has fallen over that period. Japan, which was sort of the workaholic among the global North wealthy countries, has had a major reduction in work time since 1992. And then, of course, the pandemic led to a situation of really tremendous stress and burnout in the U.S. workforce. So before we dive into one of the potential solutions to that, what is your own work schedule like? Are you on a leisurely 32-hour schedule right now? Mine really varies. I never work on Saturdays or almost never. Sundays, it depends on what I have to prepare for my classes. And I am able to, you know, sort of control my work schedule. At the moment, I've got a lot going on because the four-day week research and activity has just exploded. So it's been a busy time for me, but I am by no means an overworked American. Fantastic. I'm very happy for you. Um, I would like to think I'm not either, although hearing about some of the results of your study makes me think perhaps I am. So let's dive into that. The idea of shortening the work week has now turned into this global campaign. The nine to five, five day working week is outdated and no longer fit for purpose. Today, most workers in America still don't have a 40-hour work week. Something is wrong. 
and you were the lead researcher in the world's largest trial of the four-day workweek pattern that took place in the United Kingdom. 3,000 workers from dozens of companies across the UK participated, and the plan was to reduce hours, but crucially, receive the same amount of pay and maintain the same amount of productivity. It lasted for six months. So tell me, what did you discover at the end of those six months? The UK trial was a huge success for both employees and for companies. So I'll start with the company side. Virtually all of them opted to continue. The companies reported very high levels of satisfaction with the trial 8.5 rating on a scale of 0 to 10. We asked them about their productivity and their performance, and they rated those as 7.5. Quite a few of the companies told us that their productivity actually increased. So happy companies and extremely happy employees. And what we found among the employees is their burnout went down, their stress levels went down, their mental and physical health improved, their fatigue and anxiety declined, their exercising time increased, their sleep improved, their life and job and time satisfaction got better. So when we asked them, what is your current workability compared to your lifetime best? That went up. Overall, I would say, you know, just pretty amazing uh, results. You mentioned productivity at some of these places went up. What do we know about how that happened? Part of what happens is companies go through a two-month onboarding process before they join our trials, and we teach them how to sort of re-engineer work or what we call reorganize work to get rid of a lot of the things that they're doing that are not adding value or maybe that are counterproductive. And there's some obvious things that many of the companies do. One is they change their meetings culture. So in companies that have meetings, and that is a very large number of companies these days have meetings, they meet too much, they meet for too long, too many people go to the meetings, the meetings are not focused and all of that. So redoing their meeting culture is sort of task number one for many of these companies. Second thing is distraction and focus. Many employees in white-collar firms, but more generally, have sort of more distractions than is optimal. Either they are trying to do something and somebody keeps bothering them, or they get distracted by things on their computer. So what companies do now is set certain periods of time when people shouldn't be bothering each other, when there are no meetings, when it's like, put your head down and get the work done. So when talking to companies at the start of this trial, was it difficult to convince employers to keep paying their staff the same amount of money for fewer days and for staff to then keep up productivity in less amount of time? So one of the interesting things about these trials is that to a large extent, they are employer-driven. And the whole premise of it is no reduction in pay. The 180 100 model. So uh, 100% of the work, your productivity remains the same, but it's 80% of the time and 100% of the pay. But I do think you need that work reorganization. You got to figure out what you're going to do differently, because otherwise you're just going to intensify work. 
but you're not going to get the same kind of health benefits and commitment benefits that you get when you're doing it in a way that people don't have to just experience work as an intense speed up, but actually you've taken a lot of things off their plates and now they're able to do their work more efficiently, more effectively, but not just faster. So when does this not work? There were a couple instances, right? Yes. So we have a few examples, both from our trials and then from other examples that we know of, of companies who tried it and pulled it back. We see that a couple of the firms, and this is very anecdotal, are in the manufacturing and construction category versus white collar firms. And so we are wondering, is it just a little bit harder for those? Mm -hmm. We know things like meetings and distraction are more of an issue for white collar firms than they are, say, in manufacturing and construction. On the other hand, we have firms in manufacturing and construction who have very successfully done this. So you mentioned that most of these jobs are white collar. What about factory jobs, shift work? service jobs, or even things like doctors, journalists like me, who don't have that typical nine-to-five schedule, could this still work? I do think it can work everywhere, but to some extent, for different reasons, parts of the model, I think, have to change. So it doesn't matter whether you're a service or manufacturing or whatever, the idea that every business is already, you know, at sort of the highest possible efficiency is wrong. But the other big thing that comes into play is not just productivity, but the costs of keeping and hiring labor. We've been doing these trials for more than a year now. Over the course of this time, this seems to have become an increasingly important thing for businesses because they are losing a lot of people who quit in part because of stress and burnout, Economists are calling it the Great Resignation. Millions of Americans are leaving their jobs, over four million every month. That's where a sector like healthcare gets really interesting, because in healthcare, particularly on the sort of real frontline workers, the people caring for COVID victims in hospitals, for example, those people are so stressed and burned out. They are leaving at record rates. Nearly one in five healthcare workers have quit their job during the pandemic. Let's say you just give them that day off, and yes, you are going to have to hire some new people for that fifth day, but you are going to save a lot on attrition, on new hiring, etc., on the healthcare costs for your staff who are getting sick because they're so stressed and burned out. And society saves an enormous amount because these are very expensive to train people, and society <laughs> pays those costs. So if you just reduce their hours a bit, you might get not only more work, but also better work out of them. Well, Juliet, from your lips to our upper management's ears. <laughs> Four-day work weeks might be possible in every industry, but could they work in every country? We'll hear more after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I've been learning about the four-day week global campaign. Trials in the U.S., U.K., Ireland, Australia, and Canada have shown major benefits for employers and employees. But could this model succeed outside of Western countries? That is a question I have been asking myself like since the beginning of the trial. That's sociology professor Wen Fan. She works with Juliet Shore as a co-researcher on the four-day workweek trials. I'm originally from China, and I'm still following up on what happens in China on a daily basis. And to be honest, I'm not really sure how this could happen in China, at least at the current moment. The issue that many workers in China are now facing is really to guarantee they have a five-day work week, because I'm not sure if you are aware of this so-called 996 phenomenon. This grueling work schedule it means nine in the morning until nine in the evening, six days a week, and that includes hours and hours of unpaid overtime. That's illegal, but the government turns a blind eye. So if, for example, there is a widespread unemployment that people feel that they are very fortunate even to have a job, it's unlikely for this um, 40 week to succeed, I feel, because then um, the companies, they don't have to use 40 week as an incentive to attract or recruit the talented workers. So um, even five day on work week, it seems to be a luxury for most workers. We heard from labor experts in developing countries around the world. This is Kvan Celiacik. I'm the international secretary of DISC, Confederation of Progressive Trade Unions in Turkey. Hello, I'm Ignacia Lopez, Chilean lawyer specialized in labor and employment. Both agree that a shorter work week sounds nice, but the focus in their countries is to get labor laws enforced properly and to keep people employed. The working time in Turkey is a maximum of 45 hours per week. However, this law remains only on paper, and the vast majority of workers in Turkey work long hours illegally. 15% of workers in Turkey work 60 hours or more per week. In other words, Turkey is the country with the longest working hours among OECD members. Latin America overall still has some of the longest work hours in the world. We have to consider South America's economy is still based in extractive and industrial activities whose productivity still relays in the labor force. This explains that most of the countries of the region have a 48-hour working week. We know we need to improve our quality of life, but that doesn't come if our employment rate decreases. In East Asia, traditional attitudes about hard work can be hard to break. This is Jaya Das, a managing director from the recruitment firm Brandstad, based in Singapore. Asian workers in blue-collar jobs may be less interested in a four-day work week. Shorter hours often more translate to lesser money or lesser pay. And there is a general worry that if I opt in to do this, will I be highlighted as being you know, less hardworking and frowned upon my management if it's not something that is widely adopted. So there is a little bit of fear-mongering around it and hesitation for people to opt in in Asian economies. But back in the U.S., Juliet Shore says awareness about the four-day workweek trials is growing worldwide. We are beginning to hear from companies in Global South countries that are interested in doing this. We have a trial that just started in South Africa, and we do have a pilot starting in Brazil Mm. as well. 
So a lot of the labor force in some countries, if you're talking about sub-Saharan Africa, India, is an informal labor force. So uh, tough to do it with those because they're not well set up for this kind of thing. Although it is also the case that the informal sector has very long hours with low productivity in many cases. And I think, you know, shorten up the hours, you might be able to raise the productivity. I mean, we know historically that in poor countries, if you give low wage workers more money, they can eat better and that will make them more productive because they have more energy. So some of these principles apply everywhere. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that I think it can happen everywhere because once it starts to gain momentum, employers won't have a choice. Now, I don't want to go too far in that because there's, you know, always some very disadvantaged part of the labor market that is those workers have a hard time getting anything. But that's where you need the state to to step in also with regulations about what employers have to do for workers or, you know, Mm. what they owe workers. Yeah. I mean, it's good you mentioned that because, of course, the reason that many of those in the West, including, of course, the United States, have a five-day work week is because the state had to get involved. And it's because of the organizing and the strikes from labor unions in the late 19th century through to the 1930s that made it possible. The struggle for the eight-hour day had many champions and lasted most of a century, including many significant strikes and acts of violence until, of course, we got to President Roosevelt and Congress creating laws that set work week hours as well as overtime pay and the minimum wage. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Fair Labor Standards Act. The FLSA guaranteed a minimum hourly wage, maximum weekly hours, overtime pay regulations, and prohibited employment of minors outright. Do you think that we are looking at a similar fight to get to a four-day work week? We are looking at a fight to get to a four-day work week. I'm not sure if it's going to take exactly the same form. Of course, in, in the United States, unions are weak. But in some ways, yes, because if we think back to that earlier period of work time reduction, it was unions, but it was also certain companies like, you know, Henry Ford in the five day week. It was social reformers. I think today it's going to be environmental activists. I've done a lot of work on the relationship between working hours and carbon emissions, showing that countries and states on average have lower carbon emissions. So there's a coalition of people forming many different kinds of groups that all have an interest in shorter work time. And you mentioned the legislation that was enacted in the 1930s under Roosevelt. And let's just remember, that was almost 100 years ago. We have Mm -hmm. not had a reduction in the standard work week in almost 100 years. And look at how much more productive we've gotten. I mean, it's incredible to think of what we could have done in terms of work time reduction, given the productivity increases that we've had. So it's time to use our productivity growth to give ourselves a break. And that's The Take. This episode was produced in a five-day work week by Miranda Lynn with Khaled Sultan, Chloe K. Lee, Nagin Oliai, 
David Engers, Amy Walters, Ashish Malhotra, Sonia Bagat, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. This episode was mixed by Tim St. Clair. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>